So that's the announcement portion of the service. How about the Bible portion? You want to do that? Let's try that out, okay? And I feel really cool preaching from behind a table. I should have wore sneakers and had pants that rolled up and got some really sporty glasses. And you guys would have gone, oh, the old guy is hip. I'm not, um, but it seemed easier to just leave the table here. We're in the book of Hebrews. If you uh, have a Bible, please uh, grab one. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair, and I forget what page it's on, thousand and something uh, along the way. Um, And again, you guys, um, help us process through this. Uh, More importantly than all of our plans that we just laid out is that we get it right. And I I don't know that that plan we just laid out was perfect. It's been thought through. It's been looked at a lot. Uh, Examined, critiqued, rewritten, redone, changed. But it's still made by men and it it could have some flaws in it along the way, okay? So help us to get it right. Uh, Again, we need to show our community uh, what it's like to say our church is more than just one guy, right? We need to say we're about Jesus Christ, not about the guy he sent to serve for him. Let's not let it be about that. Anyhow, um, uh, I've been pastoring, as I said, for a long time. In all those years, it seems like you spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to attract people, right? You, you, it's, it's what you do. You kind of strategize. And Jim announced the trunk or treat thing. Why do we do a trunk or treat thing? Well, it's not just to give away candy to a, a bunch of little kids. That's fun. Um, our, we, we surveyed our neighbors across the street. We knocked on 500 homes doors, and we asked three questions. What do you love most about your neighborhood? What do you concern most about your neighborhood? And what advice would you give us as new neighbors uh, in your neighborhood? And what came up over and over is that, could you have some activities for children? We said, okay. And so Trunk or Treat was born and Easter egg hunts were born in a response to say, maybe we can help uh, the kids in our neighborhood. So, uh, but uh, while they're there, uh, every they get a gospel presentation in their bag. We'd love for them to come back to church. We're not just here to give candy away. You'd love to attract people along the way. How do you get people in the front door? But I, I tell you what, having done this for a while, I noticed something else. The church has a back door. I don't know if you noticed that or not. People actually leave. It happens more often than I want it to. And as much as I've tried to think about how to uh, open the front door, I've tried to figure out how to close the back door. Um, People leave for a variety of reasons. Uh, Two weeks ago, I did the message. I had, what, a bad experience. Was anybody here two weeks ago? Man, I rocked that thing. Are you telling me you already forgot that? I'm just kidding. So... I had a bad experience. Church is a dangerous place. People misbehave. Pastors make mistakes. Uh, You don't always agree with what you see. You might not agree with what you just saw. You're going to leave because of that? I had a bad experience. People walk away. I get it. Um, Some leave for other reasons, though. Some don't leave because they're angry or hurt. They just kind of drift they just kind of melt away and i i I wish for 
no one to have a bad experience. We try to minimize the bad experience. I can guarantee you that. We can't eliminate them, but we try to minimize them as much as we can. And when one shows up, we try to put a Band-Aid on it or a compression wound or staples or whatever needs to be put on that wound, we try to put on that wound. But the folks who drift away, those who are giving up on faith in general, those are the ones we have to go get. Those are the ones we can't just turn our backs on. Um, And to be honest, those are the folks in the Hebrew church who are being addressed here. They've gotten to the place where they're just kind of, I don't know if I really want to do this Christian thing anymore. I'm not sure this is all uh, I, I, I want it to be. And so there will be about five warning passages in the book of Hebrews from those who are thinking about giving up on their faith. And we have one of those passages here this morning in Hebrews chapter 2. Would you stand and let's read God's word together. It is an awesome thing to touch his word, ponder his word, and we'll pray the Holy Spirit applies it to your soul. Verses 1 to 4, Hebrews chapter 2, English Standard Version. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord. It was attested to us by by those who heard while God also borne witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Mm. Let's pray together about this scripture. Father, thank you for the opportunity to open your word. It is an amazing uh, both responsibility and privilege to hear your voice. You have spoken, and we want to be ready listeners. So we bow before you, asking your speech to penetrate our heart, that your spirit would accompany the words that are given for the sake of your great name on this earth, and also for the sake of this church, your testimony, Help us make your name great. Fill us with passion for that name and the truth. And Lord, if you would meet with us as we study these few moments, we would be very, very honored by that. And don't let us leave the same. Now I want to pray specifically, Father, for the doubter and the, the drifter in the room, the one who's become bored with their faith, and thinking about how worthless it is, and I pray for them, you brought them here today, and I pray for them that you would energize their soul, and that instead of boredom, they would be marveling at you. Help me to teach well on your behalf, please. Amen. Please be seated.
So there are two messages in this passage that are given. They will be compared to each other. Uh, all the scholars, uh, they had fancy terms for what kind of argument the writer of Hebrews is. Let me make it not fancy. He's giving a lesser to greater argument. Uh, if this message, A, is true and it was less, then the message that is B, which is greater, you should really pay attention to. If the first message came with great authority, imagine what the greater message came with. If you ignore the first message, you're going to have problems. If you avoid the second message, there's no escape. Get the idea? And so he just keeps piling on, lesser to greater, lesser to greater. Let's look at it. The first is a message by angels. In verse 2, it says that the message was declared by angels, and uh, those angels came, and the message they gave had, first of all, authority. It says that it was reliable. Uh, another, uh, I think New American Standard and NIV translate it binding. It was a guarantee. The angelic message that was given uh, could be back to verse 1 of chapter 1 that we started a couple weeks ago. Long ago, in many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, and he did it in a variety of ways. One of those was through angels. Now, what message is this that the angels gave? I'm going to give you my best guess. So if you go to the book of Acts, chapter 7, and then we're also going to go to Galatians, chapter 3, I think we can piece together and maybe come up with an idea of what was the angelic message that he's referring to here, although I can't say for certain. Um, Acts chapter 7, verse 37, Stephen is preaching here. This sermon's going to cost him his life. Think about that. The message he is giving will be the last words that he speaks and he believes it so much that he will die for it. Wow. Here's what he says in verse 37. He says, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai with our fathers, and he received the living oracles to give to us. What did Moses get on Mount Sinai from the angels? He got the law, didn't he? Which he brought down in the whole golden calf thing. We're not going to go into that today. But that's the message he received at that point. Verse 53, same chapter. As Stephen gets to the end, by the way, let's go to 51 just to get a feel for how Stephen was preaching. You stiff-necked people. You know what's interesting about that? That's the exact phrase that God used about Israel when Moses came down and found the golden calf in their midst. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you now have betrayed and murdered. 
You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. That's really the verse I was focusing on. Um, But those were the final words Stephen ever spoke. And then they killed him. Um, Galatians chapter 3. We now go uh, later in the New Testament and we get uh, an apostolic version of this in verse 19. Why then the law, Paul asked, it was added because of transgressions, we're going to get to that in a second, until the offspring should come to whom the promise has been made, and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. And so we have at least three instances in the New Testament where it is confirmed that the angels gave the law. Now, we get to the writer of Hebrews, and he says, Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, it was authoritative, we could surmise that he considers the law to have authority. It would suggest, and I would tell you, that the Old Testament law was perfect. Not Remember what Jesus said, not one jot, not one tittle, not one swap, not one dot of the I should be removed of it. It was not, however, complete. What was given was perfect, it just didn't give the entire story. And it was to be obeyed. It was not to be casually touched, it was to be submitted to. And so you go back to the book of Hebrews, since the message of the angels proved to be reliable, binding, a guarantee, you were to do what it said. Second, it came with accountability, a very uh, unembraced concept today, that we are accountable people. I'm, not, I'm accountable to me. No, you're not. You're accountable to something far greater than you. And in this instance, he says, that message, it was reliable. And you'll say, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution. And so there are consequences to breaking this law that we're given. Before I went on, and I, I don't know if you like it when preachers do this, because, you know, we, we always say, hey, this word's really interesting in the original. Um, these two words are really interesting in the original. Uh, so transgression and disobedience. Transgression means to step beside. Disobedience means to hear beside. They're put there on purpose. They have the same prefix on them with with different uh, stems of the word. And so you step beside the law, means the law is given to you to obey, but instead of obeying the law, you walk to a different law beside the law. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes, right? Interesting. To hear beside means you have heard the truth of the law, But instead of embracing what you've heard, 
You go for other things. And you hear other documents or people that you consider to be more valid than the law. This is called disobedience and transgression. To step beside the law and hear beside the law is what the Bible considers disobedience. Isn't that interesting? Now you'll notice that when you step beside or hear beside the law, it comes with a just retribution. And I wrote in my notes in big letters, life comes with consequences. If you choose to step beside the law or hear beside the law, you're going to pay the price of the law. And the law will bring consequences to your life. Okay, let me give you a little break. Um, we uh, have raised our four kids, and now we have 14 grandchildren. Another reason for me to go, oh my goodness, I think I need more time. Anyhow, um, and when we were raising our children, the one child had this little thing going on, and you go to the doctor and you get the bottle of stuff, and uh, it's a medication for whatever's ailing them. And so, uh, one of, I am trying not to name one of our kids in this story, because I'll have to give them money afterwards if they get named. So anyhow, so, so, so the one child gets this medication. The other child decides it'd be cool to drink it. Of course, the medication is supposed to be taken like a tablespoon at a time, but child number two drank the entire bottle at once. And then proclaimed that it was really good. We are now horrified and contact poison control to say, our kid just drank this whole bottle. And the person on poison control goes, that's not good. <laughs> and then Amy reminded me this, this morning that this story goes, we are working with time here. You need to go and do this. So I scoop up child number two and go to the pharmacy and I say, I would like a bottle of Epicac, please. Now, if you don't know what Epicac is, it is a lovely little medication that makes you puke. Okay, it will empty out anything inside of you. I'd never heard of Epicac, and, 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 but I set the little person on the, pl on, the, on the counter and said, here, drink this. And they drank it, and they go, that stuff's good. I said, okay, <laughs> let's go home. So I go home, I take the child, take all their clothes off. I think they're still in diapers, can't quite remember. Set them in the bathtub with nothing in it. Why am I in the bathtub, Dad? You'll see in a minute. <laughs> and all of a sudden, what was inside was now outside. There, were, there, there was a retribution to be paid for being foolish in how you lived. You guys, 
Stop thinking that you can just live willfully in the face of God and pretend like walk alongside what he said or yeah, come and hear the lovely church message but I'm not going to pay much attention to it and you hear alongside it and you do not follow it, you will pay a price. I don't know if you're going to be sitting in a bathtub vomiting or not. That seems odd. But the point of the story is this. Life comes with consequences. It's why parents parent their children. Because parents know the consequence, and they say, please, I beg you, don't do that. And the kid's like, I'll do whatever I want. And you go, oh. And um, you hope that you have conquered that before they get to college. Because when they get to college with that attitude, things ramp up in a hurry. Listen, the message that the angels gave, the law gave truth to follow, truth to obey. If you will keep in step with that truth, you'll know the joy of it. If you choose to walk alongside it or hear alongside it, you will get, and you notice the text says, just retribution. There will be consequences. They won't be easy. That's message number one. Let's go to message number two in verse three. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? We'll come back to that. It was declared first by the Lord. Exact word that it said of the angels in verse two. It was declared by the angels. Now this one is declared by the Lord. And so this message originates with Jesus himself. And it starts there first. But there have been a lot of messiahs. Let's be honest. And just because someone claims something doesn't mean we should believe the thing they claim. Well, how would we know if the Lord told the truth? He then gives a couple of pieces of um, confirming evidence. It's like you're in a courtroom. It was declared first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard and so the first thing I would tell you is that this message came, and it came and was verified that it was spoken and that it was real by those who were there in the flesh. Uh, I'll give you three Bible examples. The first in the Gospel of Luke chapter 1. Gospel of Luke chapter 1. So Luke is known as the great historian of the early church. And in Luke chapter 1, he begins his first of two volumes on the history of the Christian faith. And he writes this in verse 1, Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, and just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. So Luke says we have eyewitness accounts that these are not just Paul Bunyan legends, right? This, this, this is not folk hero. This Jesus is not a made-up guy. 
in mythology, we have eyewitness accounts that was true. I've been taking copious notes, and I'm going to take everything I've heard, I'm going to share it with you. Let's go to Acts chapter 5, verse 29. I hope you're enjoying your Bible this morning. My new one's working quite well. Um, I intended to buy a larger print for, for earlier stated reasons. And it's just clearer print, I guess. I laid it down next to my own Bible. Oh, I thought it was a larger print. And it's the same size, but I don't know, just better, bolder. Uh, what did I say? Acts 5, 29, thank you. Uh, here's what it says. Uh, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on the tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior. Oh, man, there's a sermon right there, isn't there? Well, anyhow, i got to leave that alone. To give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, and we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. These are firsthand witnesses writing down exactly what they saw. This is the message that comes from the Lord that was given to his followers to pass on to the next generation, to the next generation, to the next generation. One more, 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. Whoops. New Bible. Page is sticking. Ready? Uh, verse 1. That which we've heard from the beginning... Excuse me, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. It's a powerful testimony. Say, I was there. I saw this. I, I'm not following what someone else told me. My own baby blues witness this very thing. The writer of Hebrews is telling us that the message of the Lord was confirmed by eyewitnesses. I just gave you three. Therefore, you should trust it. Wait a minute, that's not good enough. It was declared first by the Lord, who attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness. And so the witness of this earth, men who have witnessed it firsthand, is accompanied by the testimony of God in the courtroom. This is a good witness to have on your side. You know, if, if you were accused of something and you were in court and say, I'd like to ask God to come to the witness stand. How great would that be? He's not allowed to lie. He shows up at the witness stand. He goes, okay, what would you like to know? Well, how do we know this Jesus guy's for real? What does the text say? God bore witness by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. And so God comes, and he says, let me verify the validity of this message to you. Signs, wonders, and miracles should probably just be held together. Um, and the Jews were always demanding signs. Remember, he's writing to Hebrew believers. 
Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, um, Paul says, the Jews are always looking for signs. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 to 40, Jesus promised a sign. Anybody remember what that sign is? Good try, Chris. I was once what dead, and now I'm the resurrection. Jesus said, I'm not going to do any more stuff. I'm going to go be buried like Jonah and the whale, and three days later, rising from the dead. By the way, Chris is right about the destruction of Jerusalem. Just had it misplaced a little bit in the order of events for Jesus. Someday we'll cover that, Chris. Not today. The resurrection was to prove that death could be conquered. If you saw a guy rise from the dead, might you go, hmm, maybe I should believe what he said. So I wrote in my notes, why would anybody ignore these things? And I want you to go to John chapter 11, and let me show you why people ignore the signs that God gave. I'll come back to the sign thing in a second. I know you guys all want to think about that more. John chapter 11, one of those amazing uh, stories, and again, uh, not urban legend, confirmed by witnesses, and Lazarus is raised from the grave. He dies, Jesus comes, Lazarus, I got more for you to do, come on out of there, sweet. Lazarus comes out, they have a big party, it's a good deal. Verse 45, John chapter 11. Many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary had seen what he did and believed in him. That seems logical, right? Honest, if Sun Myung Moon could make a guy rise from the dead, I'd probably follow him. He can't. I just want you to know he can't do that. Um... But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Verse 47, so the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together and said, what are we to do? He's performing many signs. How about believe in him? Verse 48, if we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and what? Take away our place and our nation. I've got to protect what is mine. There is no way I'm going to believe in this guy because if I believe in him, i got to follow him. Right now, I'm the lead dog in the sled thing. And you know what they say about uh, the second, third, and fourth dog. The view's the same from there, right? Unless you're the lead dog, the view's exactly the same every, for every other dog. Anyhow, he is at a place. We're not going to believe. God has testified through signs and wonders. Now, the apostolic message had the hand of God in signs and wonders also. And uh, Acts chapter 2. The New Bible, the pages do have a tendency to not uh, come apart quite as easily. So now the followers of Jesus, who now have taken his message on the streets, he's gone to heaven, they've taken it to the streets, and um, how or why should we believe in them? 
Chapter 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves to apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All kinds of amazing stuff was happening. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. Chapter 14, verse 1 to 3. At Iconium, they entered together in the Jewish synagogue. They spoke in such a way that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned the minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace. How did He do that? By granting signs and wonders done by their hands. What we see in the book of Hebrews chapter 2, what we verified in the life of Jesus was also true in the life of the apostles. God is confirming his message with the miraculous. He does it over and over for them. Um, Verse 8, same chapter. At Lystra, there's a man sitting, couldn't use his feet, crippled from birth, never walked. Listen to Paul speak. Paul looked at him, seeing he had uh, uh, faith to be made well. He said, stand upright on your feet. He sprung up and began walking. When the crowd saw that Paul had done this, they lifted their voices, uh, 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 saying in Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. The people got it. They messed up a little bit. He had to adjust their theology, but the sign did what it was supposed to do. The miracle performed the function that it was supposed to serve, and that was to verify the message of our Lord. And so signs and wonders were everywhere. I I won't go anymore. Chapter 15, verse 12, we could go on and on. Paul reflects on signs and wonders in Romans chapter 15, verses 17 to 19. One more. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. This is kind of looking back uh, more than uh, in the moment. Then I'll make a statement about these signs here in just a second that all of you want me to make, or some of you don't want me to make. We'll see. Chapter 12, verse 11, he says, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you, for I was not inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing, The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with the utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. So what God did on the witness stand to the testimony of the validity of his son was take the message of his son accompanied by signs and wonders and miracles to say, this is the truth. And as people encountered those signs, they were stuck in the same place the Jews were in John chapter 11. Well, there was a lot of stuff going on here. Maybe we should believe. Um, Now, a couple statements here. You guys, um, these were rare and purposeful. When we start talking about signs, wonders, and miracles, we don't call them regulars. Do you want me to run that one by you again? Because you should have gone, hmm. 
I should have heard like a collective. <laughs> because they're unique. They don't happen very often. We see them in the Bible a lot, but the Bible's picking out the high points so you can have faith and understand God. It doesn't tell you the gazillions of days where nothing happened. It high points the amazing things for a purpose. But what I've tried to display to you is this. God accompanied the message of the gospel with signs and wonders and miracles, not to put on a dog and pony show, but to validate the message that was being given. Okay? Validate? Validate. I told you. Mental, gone. You think I'm kidding. It's, it's embarrassing, you guys, when you sit in a meeting and you tell a story, and then when you're done with the story, everybody in the room looks at each other and like, he just told us that yesterday. I don't know, why is he repeating that? I don't know. And then all the young people go out going, oh man, the old guy, slippage, slippage, warning, failure, meltdown, it's awful. It's either that or growing up in the 70s in New Haven. Those two things combined together, put those together, and the dude burned out some brain cells there. And, uh, sorry. How much time do I have? I better stay on the Bible. I had a great story, but I'm going to leave it there. Now, back to Hebrews. He also validates that by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um... Literally, in the original, it says the distributions of the Holy Spirit. Uh, distributions is in plural. Holy Spirit is singular. So it's probably more than just the gift of the Spirit. But the gifts, again, were to, not to glorify men, but to point to Christ. And so the purpose of the gifts of the Spirit were the same purpose as the signs, wonders, and miracles. The gifts of the Spirit are alive and well here, right? How often do signs, wonders, and miracles happen? They're not regulars. The gifts are regulars. As these work as a team, they scream, believe this message. Don't step beside it. Don't hear beside it. Line up with it because God has testified that it is true. These two messages evoke two responses. We go back to verse 1, which I haven't touched. And the two responses are this. We must pay much closer attention. So here's the first thing. You have to give full attention to it. Instead of standing beside it, instead of hearing beside it, plant your feet on it. It becomes the foundation of your life. You'll notice in verse 1, this is not optional. It is something that we must do, and we must do with much closer attention. It is to be the focal point of our lives. Now, I want you to also notice a couple things. First of all, note the word we. It's in verse 1. It's twice in verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect? The author joins the recipients, doesn't he? In other words, the writers of the Bible are not doing what our politicians do, rules for thee, but not for me. This is binding on me too. 
as I write to you, I must pay close attention to our Lord. I must pay attention to who He is. The second thing I would point out, I want you to note that the attention on what we have heard, not what we are hearing or what we hope to hear. Are you ready? The old stuff is the good stuff. The old stuff is transformational. How did your life get transformed? Don't give away that message for something new and fancy and sparkly. It seems like in Christianity we're tired of the message of Christ. We want something more fleshy. You guys, we need to be reminded more than we need to be dazzled. It's the things that we have heard. It's the things that He has brought to us. And I don't have time to go there, but let me give you a Scripture passage for you to ponder if you're so interested. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-11 through 11, give an overview of the Christian life with salvation, growth. And there's a verse in there that says, if we do not do this, we will forget whether we are believers or not. Didn't say you lost your salvation. Just says, I don't know if I am anymore. And frankly, you guys, we can't tell either. When you choose to leave the centrality of the gospel message and step beside and hear beside, you now change the trajectory of your life. It causes you to go, I wonder if I ever really believed back there. It causes everyone around you to go, I wonder if they ever really believed back there. And the answer is we can't tell anymore. You fell off. Or to use his phrase, you drifted away. The second possibility is in verse 3, not giving full attention. How about giving no attention? How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Neglect in the ESV, uh, treat the gospel with indifference, ignore it. Um, we used to use the phrase in New Haven, blow it off. I heard what you said, I blow it off. I don't want anything to do with it. doesn't mean a thing to me. I would rather hear this other message. I would rather walk this way of living than the one I heard in my past. I've gotten new messages. I have replaced Christ with a different allegiance. Why is he writing this? Because the church is filled with people who used to believe. The church is up to the brim with people who used to be convinced enough to obey. But they have cashed in that lifestyle for a new lifestyle. One that's flashier, more modern. Dare I use the word progressive? You think that's new? It's been going on as long as there's been churches. 
You can get to the book of Revelation, there are seven churches. Five of them are apostate by the end of the first century. They traded something in. The Ephesian church had that amazing letter. They had lost their first love. The writer of Hebrews is concerned about these Hebrew converts because he says, look, you guys, if we do this, if I did it just like you're doing it, I'd be in the same trouble that you're in. This is not just about you. It's about anybody who has the message of Christ and then decides, I've got a better message over here, who had the message of Christ and said, you know, I want to listen to the more uh, progressive podcasts. I'm trading in what I've heard for what I am hearing. And so the final words are really his first words. Be careful of drifting away. I close with John chapter 20. Here's what verse 30 of John 20 says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Are you ready? And that by believing, you may have life in his name. It's too soon to drift away, you guys. Those stormy seas out there are dangerous. I beg you, hold on to the message confirmed by God himself and never give up on it, even if it's confusing, even if others around you give up on it, even if the world tells you it's outdated and ridiculous. This is the gospel of our lives, and by believing it, we have life. Let's pray. May your grace be on our dear church here today, Father. And I want to pray especially for those who are already drifting. They have already decided to hear some other authority, to live by some other standard. And I pray for them, Father, that you would shake them this morning. Because that life has consequences. Please, rescue those who are ready to give up. Strengthen the weak knees that are in this place right now. Give them the humility to confess their foolishness. And may they delight in you and you alone. Thanks for hearing our prayers. Thanks for giving us this great, great message, your Bible. Help us to be faithful. And when we fall, help us to be quick to seek the forgiveness of you who saved us, please. In Christ's name.